Welcome to the Probate Realtor Show, your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate. Hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court. Being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task, and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan. Let us help you make the right decision for your clients, your family, and your legacy. And now, here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matias Baker Mazzucci. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Today, we are talking to Sue Pomerantz, who is a senior housing specialist. And she is a pleasure to be around. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mateus. That's a lot to live up to. <laughs> but, but, but absolutely the truth. Um, Sue, can you tell our audience, um, what, what is the senior housing specialist? Who is the senior housing specialist? Well, obviously, firstly, it's a professional in the field who knows the industry. It is okay. so daunting because it's huge. And there's right. so much out there. And I can't even tell you all the times people have said to us, I wish I knew you when. Right. And the answer to them is, I wish I'd known me when my parents were ill. Uh, and it was before I was in the industry and it was before assisted living even existed. Right. But a senior uh, residential specialist is someone who knows what's out there, who knows the differences between levels of care and also the differences between environments and what each one has to offer and with listening can make those suggestions that make it so much easier for the client to then to then yeah to then further the search so so what are what are the the different levels of care for somebody who doesn't know you know, there's a lot of people out there, and I see them in my profession as a real estate agent. There's a lot of people who don't know their options. Right. They, they're not aware of it. They're not advertised. They're like, OK, you know, now maybe a spouse has passes away. They're in, you know, they are feeling overwhelmed. They have this big house that they raise their family in, but they don't want to let it go. And they don't know because they're like, where am I going to go? Exactly. And that's a question. That's a, you know, it's funny because when people um, sell, ask me, you know, contact me to, to sell a house, if they're living in it, the first question that I ask is, where are you going to go? So, so what are the types of assisted living or senior housing that is out mm -hmm. there? What's, the, what's out there? I actually want to um, talk about the senior housing part before the assisted living because sure, yeah, as, absolutely. as in your line of work, you will find people selling their houses for the reason you said they're too big and right. they're lonely and maybe they've lost a spouse. Maybe they haven't lost a spouse. Maybe they're just feel isolated and their families aren't local and they're, they've lost some other people in their peer group and they right. want more out of life. My favorite client is the senior who can make their own decisions. Right. Who can make their own choices. And we have a lot of fun together. And because obviously I'm a peer. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, we, we, we can really talk the same conversation. And I can even say, well, I know what I would do if I were in your shoes. Right. So independent living is, is out there. Now, there are so many different kinds of scenarios, models. You've got some places that are only independent living. Uh, mm -hmm. People like that idea because they don't want to be associated with assisted living. Right. I personally try to um, soften that a bit because I feel like there's nothing worse than having to move more than once. Mm -hmm. And I always suggest and prefer the model that has independent living 
but also has the levels of care that they may need going through the rest of their life so they can stay in their own place and not have to deal with that. So you've got independent living, which is very social. It's like we call it the cruise ship on land. Uh, it's all the activities going on. You have so much okay. to choose from. If this doesn't appeal to you, then this is going to appeal to you. Right. And there's outings and there's there's field trips and there's shopping and there's just and it's all provided in the community. Um, discussion groups. I can't even go into all of them from A to Z. There's just something all the time, every day that could exhaust one person. Uh, but in that case, you've also got their apartment for a respite while they gear up for the next one. Um, so that's independent. Then you've got assisted living, but most of your, actually all of your assisted living places, the larger communities have independent population. Mm -hmm. The difference is they're licensed for assisted living. If yeah. it's an independent community solely, they're not licensed. Mm -hmm. So any care that someone might need has to be hired privately from a home care company and brought in privately. So that's a big distinction. And uh, so assisted living offers the assistance that someone might need. Also, what's really convenient is that people may need assisted living only temporarily. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're recovering from a fall or uh, a flu, or they just need one day they're not feeling right. One day maybe they can't reach their socks and they need some help. It doesn't have to be a permanent thing. But in independent living, you don't have that option because the staff isn't there for that. Right. So that's the distinction. And assisted livings always say assisted living in their title uh, because almost always because they want people to know that they're licensed for that Got by it. the state of California. Now, that's on the larger, more social level. Then you've got the small board and care homes. Some people, you may have heard the reference to the six pack. Okay. Typically, there's six residents. Uh, they're licensed for six. Some have special licensing where they can have nine, they can have 12. Some of them have like a duplex situation where they're next door to each other and they're kind mm -hmm. of connected. They're usually for the more frail. They have a large percentage that deal with dementia, cognitive issues. Got it. And the staffing is better than in the larger places. Right. It's much more personal, much more one on one, much more Johnny on the spot if something happens. Um, mm -hmm. because it's a small environment. So if Mrs. Smith happens to fall in her room, it's going to be heard in the kitchen. Right. Whereas in, in assisted living, if she can't get to a pu push button or a call cord, someone might not know for a few hours that she could be on the floor. Right. Uh, the, the little places, they do cater to special menus. Uh, they are very cozy and intimate and lovely. However, here's the downside. They don't have the activities. Right. Now, most of the people who live there don't care about the activities. It's just, just it's a different level of need. Right. But they don't have the activities. Some will do. They'll have uh, puzzles and they'll have some arts and crafts and they'll have a little of this and a little of that. But it's not a planned day with all these choices that the large places have. That makes uh, sense. There is exercise involved because that's licensed by the state. There has to be. So there, it's it's an answer for everyone at a different need, a different level of need and care. And we love the little places. We really do. Very nice. And so you have access, you have access to from 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 the small community of, like you said, six residents to the large 
you know, independent, you know, apartments. I'm sure some of these facilities may even have independent homes that are like, you know, townhouses or things like that. There are a few like that. Those are the buy-ins, which is different. Um, And there aren't too many of them. We do have access with the ones that are the buy-ins with what you're saying, like the townhouses. Normally the work, the way they work with agencies such as ours, they won't contract with us for that part of it. Oh, I see. Have to move. They have to move into the assisted living building then they'll contract. So we we are only can only represent part of that. I understand. That's, I understand. that's the way they're that's the way they're set up. But we do have access to the rest of them. And going back to the levels for a moment, after yeah, sure. after the small homes, should mm-hmm. somebody need to for medical purposes or for any other purposes, long term care custodially, there are the nursing homes. Got it. We, we personally and most uh, services such as ours, we don't contract with nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a personal decision that I made many years ago, and right. I just, it, it involves Medi-Cal and Medicare, and and I just was like, I did that when I was working in hospice, and I was just like, no, enough of that. I, but it's there for the need if it is available in the community. And a very important part, hospice. Right end-of-life care, palliative care and hospice care can go wherever the client, the resident lives. So whether Mm. they're at their own home or they're in the small home or they're in assisted living, hospice can be brought into there. It is not a move to a freestanding. Got it. You said something that caught my attention. You said, you know, my favorite is the senior who can make their own decisions. So before we move on to the senior who cannot make their own decision, let's talk about how the senior who can make their own decision reaches out to you and are you like going on tours? Are you taking together to properties and, and looking at brochures? Can you tell me a little bit what, 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 what do you do? First you assess the need and then you go to open houses. So it's like, it sounds like you're just that sound familiar, Mateus. Um, very much so. And, and the way it works is they reach out, and I, I do love talking to the seniors because, as you well know with your clients, it's hard to leave their home of 30, 40, sometimes of 50 years. They're leaving behind all their memories and so much of what they've collected and don't need anymore. Uh, and you and I both have resources to help them through that, right. uh, many of whom we share. Uh, but it's, it's a sensitive, emotional time. My favorite conversation is when at, by the end of the conversation, we've connected and we've shared a laugh. And I know that if I could can make them feel that level of comfort and we've laughed together, then it's going to be OK. And and when they tell me, which they have on many occasions, because I've been doing this a very long time, uh, how much more relaxed and optimistic that they were before than, than before they placed the call. Um, we do go out to see places. It depends. If they have family locally, mm-hmm. usually they're going to go with a family member. Got it. It's normally for anybody who doesn't have someone local. And then we are, yes, we are absolutely there to fill that need. I have a darling client now. I wish I could tell you her name. Of course I can't, but she has the greatest name. <laughs> and, um, and she's absolutely fabulous. And I'm going to take her out. She doesn't have family at all yeah. anywhere. and it's my pleasure it's I, I always call it a girl's day out 
and nice. we'll work lunch into it and we'll just you know make it make it a fun thing and we are there for that and also because so many families live in different parts of the country and they're not here so right. it's them a sense of comfort too to know that i'm going to pick them up and i'm going to take them i'm going to take them back to home and and we'll have a good day of it so thank you for right. asking Yes. Yeah, of course. So the one who have local f- family that's local and they're able to be, to be driven around or drive around, even drive around themselves and look at the places, um, you provide the options. Is that correct? You tell you tell them, look, this place, this place is good. This place, you know, can fulfill this kind of need. How do you do your screening of the places? Like, which one do you? Are there places that you specifically like to work with over sure. other ones? Uh, absolutely. And I have to admit that I'm not objective. <laughs> I think that's I, fine. You know what you like. You know I, what you like. Yeah. I tell my own children when it's my turn, they can go to my list and depending on my diagnosis, they'll know where to put me. <laughs> so, um, so much, of course, is predicated on finances. Of course. And But I'm also very quick to tell people that yes you've got this this group of places that are five star everything no mm-hmm. question ten star everything and the big places are have all the bells and whistles gyms and computer rooms and anything right. you can think that doesn't mean though that the places that are that are down uh in price um or a little bit in area because area it's like real estate location sure, of course and but that doesn't mean that they're not going to get the same level of care and opportunities and activities. They just mm-hmm. won't have all the bells and whistles. And maybe the rooms won't be as large and maybe the building is older. Right. And, you know, so yes, I have favorites and my, and I'm not, I don't keep it a secret. I do. I have favorites and it's, it's contingent upon what we've learned about the places over the years. Now, new places that come and sign on with this, then it takes time to really get to know them. Right. But we we tour, we talk to the people we need to talk to, the executive directors or the owners, uh, the admissions people, and we get a feeling. And also, it's so important for us, as well as the families when they tour, to take a look at the other residents, mm. see how mom is going to fit in. Right. If, it, if we're giving them a half a dozen places, which is usually our maximum at one time, because we don't want it overwhelm and in um then we're going to select what we think is realistic for every in every way financial social mm-hmm. psychosocial physical care and because we want to narrow it down for them we want to make the visits good visits we want them to feel like they've accomplished something and not just exhaustion right and um and it's that's all predicated on what we've learned over the years. I just had a call from my colleague who's working with the family, and she said, what do you think about this place? She said, I don't know it that well. And I said, I know it, and it's kind of iffy. And, you know, so those are the kind of conversations we have. That makes sense. Um, yeah, because our, why work with us if we can't, direct them in a realistic manner that's going to be productive yeah let's thank you very much those are all very useful information let's let me um touch briefly upon um the person who 
unfortunately is not unable to is not able to make their own decisions um, over the years. Um, how I, what what do you find? What what is the difference in the approach when you are dealing with the next of kin, with the family that you take to find out is this really what what is best for the for the person you know who unfortunately cannot decide. Well, first of all, we've been doing this for almost 24 years. And so over the course of that many years, so much has changed in the industry. Mm -hmm. And also it's given us a perspective and an experience uh, that you hope you glean over that many years, otherwise right. you're stagnant. And our interview with the family, it's usually family, by the way. Yeah. It's probably 95% family, as opposed to the senior who can call. Right. We want to know all about them and not just mm -hmm. about who they are now. We want to know about who they were. What did they do for their livelihood? Right. You know, it's so interesting, the, the vast spectrum of past professions that people have been in and going back to, you know, so many decades. And um, we want to know what made them tick and what makes them tick now. Right. And what's going to make them comfortable so we really delve deep when we're talking to family members usually we have been so blessed so blessed with family members who care deeply and they're doing this for the right reason it's the very rare family member who is doing it mechanically and mm -hmm. it's so there's a lot involved and a lot of emotion and again if i can make them feel comfortable i or any of my team can make them feel comfortable then we've done what we're supposed to do so that there's trust and that the most trust is the most important thing. But we go deep into their background and deep into their interests. I want to know uh, what's their typical day now? Mm -hmm. and their what was their typical day? What did they used to love to do? Some of them were avid readers and now they're so sight impaired they can't do that. So right. they, they listen to audio tapes. Or they make, so we need to know all of those things. And again, it goes to making those visits worthwhile you it don't have want them to walk in and 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 then leave and say well that was a waste of our time mm. so that makes total sense let me ask you another question um as far as the um finances that are needed for for you know um, assisted living senior housing independent living what have you found to be the source uh, in your experience of most like do, do people have generally enough, you know, retirement income for these needs or are there? Um, it's a mixed bag. Is it? Okay. That it makes really sense. Isn't. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but it's it, everybody thinks that the baby boomers are coming, you know, loaded with money and it's just not the case. Right. And it really concerns all of us that they're going to, they're going to have problems because in all honesty, and I hate, saying in all honesty but like with everything else prices are going up right and i got i got word yesterday that most places are going up as high as 10 percent this coming year oh, wow. that's a big significant number per month and, yeah absolutely and it, it hurts us i mean when i heard that it, this i was like oh how do i pass this on mm. um fortunately we have a range of prices in our in our toolbox so to speak but still, those places are going to go up, too. And right. it's very challenging. If they have a home to sell, that, of course, goes a long way. 
Right. And but then, there again, it depends on what's their home, how much are they going to get for their home, how much sure. equity they had in their home, and their ages and health too. Mm-hmm. Are, none of us can really predict how long somebody's going to need that money. Right. You can, to a point, if they're 95 and there's health issues, you can kind of guess that it's not going to be a 20-year range or even right, a 15 right. year range. But if they're in their 60s, mm-hmm. maybe it's only cognition, then you have to start thinking long-term planning. Right. If they happen to have long-term care insurance, I literally do a happy dance. Because even if it's only $100 a day, that's 3000 uh-huh. that's not coming out of pocket. Right, right. Um, that generation, not so much mm-hmm. uh, long-term care insurance involved, and no other insurance covers it. None. Right. Let's get that out on the table. Um, oops. Sorry about that. Um, right. But, but it's you know it's it's difficult. It's hard, and we'll be asked, "Well, is this going to be enough? And how much is that?" And we're not financial planners. We can give you the hard facts about how much it's going to be. Right. But we can't, we can't plan if how it's going to work for them. And we also can't plan what they can afford. They need to yeah. bring that to us. We that can tell sense. them it's going to cost, but they need to provide what they can afford. And then we can go from there and refer accordingly. Yeah. That's the other thing. I never want someone to walk in and fall in love with a place and find out they can't afford it. Yeah, of course. So, that makes sense. So this is the, the work, I guess, in a sense, I like to say that all the time. It's the work you do prior to going on the market that counts. It's the work you do prior to sending the client to an to to a facility that makes it worth, you know, the um absolutely, yeah. absolutely true. And what I love, and I'm sure you've run into this too, the senior wants to be able to hand their money down to their children and grandchildren. Right whether it's from selling the house or going into it, they want to preserve some of those assets to hand down. The kids, for the most part, say, mom and dad earned that money. Right. Let's, let's let them splurge and have the greatest life they can have. And I love those people. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It makes absolutely. life for them. Um, so, but they have, it's up to them to decide. Now, I have found the majority of people, they'll come with a certain amount of, because it sounds like a lot of money, but then the reality is in today's market, it's not necessarily a lot of money. Right. They find a way and they, they usually, if they like something, they usually find a way of being able to do it or coming close to being able to, to satisfy yeah. that, that want. Very nice. I mean, look at the mortgage on a, on a, you know, a million dollar house, you know, it's not exactly cheap that you're paying or a million and a half dollar house in our market. I mean, you know, you buy a house in that in that range, you 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 know, you're spending quite a you know several thousand dollars a month in mortgage payments. Absolutely. So, and the other other uh, cause for a happy dance is when they tell me the house is paid off. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't happen that often. But I love it. it. Okay, happy dance number one, long-term <laughs> care insurance. Happy dance number two, I own a house and no mortgage on it. Beautiful. If they can see me on the other end of the phone and I'm going. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. Okay. Speaking about, but just yeah. addressing the other end of the phone, uh, you know, since COVID, we all got used to this. 
to sure. Zooming. Yes. And I actually suggest when I touch base with the client that if they want, that we either FaceTime or Zoom, because I do think that putting a face to a voice is really important on both ends. I yeah, like absolutely. Client, but I like them to get to know one of us as well. So. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's talk about Sue. Sue, where are you from? Tell us, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Phoenix. All right, Phoenix. Uh, and when I was 10, I told my parents I was leaving when I was 18. <laughs> did you do and that? I did really tell them that. And <laughs> I really did leave. Um, I went, so I was raised in Phoenix and um, when I was 18, I went to school in the Midwest. I went to University okay. of Illinois. Okay. It was my first experience with winter. And everyone said, oh, she'll be back. And <laughs> got to tell you, it was four of the greatest years of my life. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I am still a diehard Illinois fan. Oh, um, very nice. So that's where I was from and where I went. And I stayed, I mean, I went home to Phoenix for vacations, obviously, my folks were there. And then when I met my husband, my folks moved here. So I went home for a couple more um, class reunions. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm done with it. <laughs> it's a very nice city and I'm sure a lot of people like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what brought your parents never, to Phoenix? Never did. No. What brought your parents to Phoenix? I'm just curious. My mom's family moved to Phoenix from Chicago okay. uh, when she was 13. Oh, got it. So okay. she was just part and parcel, <laughs> a byproduct. Yeah. Uh, my dad's family was originally from Pittsburgh, but lived mm -hmm. here in LA, actually. Oh, okay. And um, he met my mom in Phoenix. I think he, they were young. I mean, they were really young. They were married when she was 19 and he was 21. Oh, wow. Actually, the story goes, he was supposed to go out with my aunt. Oh. And my aunt, he went to pick up my aunt and my mother was there and that was it. That was it. So, I love it. Uh, but I don't know how daddy and his family got to LA. I don't know why. They were, okay. he was born in Pittsburgh. They were in Pittsburgh for a long time. I don't, I don't know. And there's no one for me to ask. So, Got it. Got it. It'll be one of those unknown mysteries in my life. Yes. What made you decide to become a senior housing specialist? Fate. Okay. I like that. I, I, it was purely by accident. And if you want the whole story, I sold another business. I was okay. in a completely different field. I mean, I did a real 180. And, and um, I was like, okay, now what? I've got time. I have no direction. I don't know what I'm doing. I know I want to get out of the industry I was in. And I thought, I'm going to go volunteer. I'm going to go volunteer at the Jewish Home for the Aging. Okay. And the reason I chose, to the Jew chose the Jewish Home was because my mother-in-law was living there. Oh, okay. And I say only partially facetiously, but mostly in truth. I was always trying to score points with my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, if I'm on campus and I'm volunteering, that's going to make her happy. So I started volunteering there. And about two months in, they approached me and they said, we're interviewing for a new director of volunteers. We'd like you to interview. 
And I seriously, Mateus, I looked at them and I said, why? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. I show up, I visit, I talk, I have a good time. I take people places and I don't know what I'm doing. And they said, we want you to interview. And they hired me. So my oh, wow. first job was at the Jewish home as director of volunteers. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I did build a program and I brought in an inter- intergenerational program. And I brought mm-hmm. in um, high school students who then got credit for community service for their college application. Okay. And I loved it. So a couple years later, I was laid off. They did, they did um, a merger between their communities and the mm. people in the different positions, seniority got oversight of all both locations. Oh, I did okay. not. So I was laid off and I was devastated. I really oh. was, I loved these people. But one of the rabbis then approached me and said that he sat on the board for a group of for-profit nursing homes. Mm. And they, he thought they might be interested in building a volunteer program. And I said, that would be really unique in a for-profit setting. Mm-hmm. And they did. It was 32 centers in okay. Texas and Arizona and California. And um, they built, I, I built this program and even wrote a manual for them on how to develop a volunteer program. Oh, wow. And I wasn't sure what I was doing, but it seemed to work. And and I traveled a little bit, and um, but then I was approached by a hospice, and this is the most important part that links into what we do now. Mm-hmm. Hospice, you may know this, so if you do, and if your if, if your people watching do, I apologize, but if you don't, I'm going to teach you something right now. Um, in hospice service, five percent of patient care, it is required by Medicare that it be volunteerism. Oh, and it has it has to be documented. And that is the only way that a hospice is then reimbursed by Medicare. This is that Mm. they can show volunteerism. Mm. So this startup hospice that was in Culver City uh, approached me. And they had heard about this group that I had been working with. And I was their first departmental hire. Uh, It was amazing. Amazing. I loved hospice work. And building that department was really important because it was required because it was mm. a much kind of different approach. And obviously the clientele was much different. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, and I eventually became director of their admissions department. Okay. So I was there for six years and I loved it. Um, had some personal stuff going on. I was losing someone very important in my life. And uh, it was very hard for me to do hospice during the day. And I was partially her caregiver at night. Mm -hmm. And my husband said to me one day, I miss your smile. And I said, what are you talking about? I mean, I had no idea that it was affecting me as much as it was. And he said, you can't leave it behind. And I realized it was time for me to go. And that was really hard for me. Right. So there again, I was stuck with, now what do I do? <laughs> right. I worked all my life, so it wasn't mm-hmm. a question of sitting back and doing nothing. Um, and I thought, what did I learn here? I learned that people looked like they only had two options if they were in hospice. They had home and they had nursing home. Right. Nursing home should never have to be an option, not mm-hmm. for long-term end of life. 
home was sometimes impossible. It's a great option if you can do it. But if they were living with their kids, it was often a sandwich generation environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just destroying the family, the, the family nucleus. And I thought there's got to be something in the gap. And I just started looking around and I found the world of assisted living, except that back there in 1999, it was this big, 98, it was this big. Mm -hmm. So I was privy to the explosion. And uh, that's how I got into it. So when I say it was by accident, it really was. It was the it was kismet. It was fate saying that there's something out here that's going to make a difference in your life. That's wonderful. I really like that. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, Thank you, Grant. Before we end, I um, I like to do to end on a little bit of a fun note. So I have a list of questions here, and I would like for you to pick a number between one and thirty. One in 30. Mm-hmm. Do I get, okay. All right. So is one like on the low end, it's just random? It, it, these are, the questions are random. They're numbered. And I will ask you the question that is associated with that number. Okay. Oh, I'm only giving you one number. Yeah, just one okay. number. Yeah. All right. What's your number, Sue? 27. 27. Oh, I, I have no idea why. That just popped into my head. I love 27. I love 27. Okay. Here it is. What was what is the last thing you regret buying? <laughs> <laughs> Ask Amazon. Um what a, what's the last thing I regret buying? God, that's a hard one. I'm not sure. I know, uh, right? It, it, is, really, it is. It really is. I could say all the things that my granddaughter wanted me to return uh, <laughs> after, after the holidays. Um uh, I don't know. Uh, what, what's the last thing I regret buying? Probably, uh, probably a coat I really didn't need, but liked. I don't know if it was regret. <laughs> yeah, you don't know if it was regret. It's good enough. It's good enough. Um, all right. Well, this has been uh, such a pleasure to have you. Let me uh, for our audience who needs a senior housing specialist, how do they get a hold of you? So many ways. The website, which okay. is conceptsforliving.com, and that's F-O-R, spelled out. Um, Facebook page. Very nice. Um, my email, which is sue at conceptsforliving.com. Our general is info at conceptsforliving.com. Uh, let's see, what what could I have left out? Uh, all, all the phone numbers, of course, are posted everywhere. I do have an 800 number, so that could come in handy for people. Oh, and very that, nice. And that is 414-4242. Perfect. And I think that pretty much covers it. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, it's been such a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. Thank I'm you so much. that you asked me. You have educated us and um thanks everybody for joining and we will see you on the next episode bye bye